Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. We're delighted to welcome Kaya Gensh and Maureen Freely. We'll be discussing Turkish culture as part of our World Lit series. Kaya Gensh is a novelist, essayist and translator from Istanbul and a contributor to numerous blogs and magazines, including Index on Censorship, The Guardian, and our very own LRB blog. His first novel, Laventura, right? yeah. was published in Turkey in 2008 and is now writing a novel in English. Maureen Freely is a journalist, novelist, professor, and translator, well known for her translations into English of Oran Pamuk's recent novels, and currently the chair of the Translation Association, Translators Association, I beg your pardon. There will be questions at the end... <laughs> So don't be shy, have a think, and um, join in the discussion after this discussion. Um, I hope you'll join me in welcoming them to the LLB shop. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming here. Um, and um, I keep looking in different places and recognizing people. Ah. Uh, but first, um, welcome to London, Kaya. Um, Kaya and I are friends from Istanbul, and uh, I always enjoy talking about um, uh, the history of Turkish literature and um, contemporary um, the contemporary scene in Istanbul. So I've kidnapped him. <laughs> and um, but now we're here and. Uh, the question I thought I'd begin with um, is um, the paradox that most people bring to me when um, when they start getting to know uh, Turkish literary culture and so on. It doesn't add up to them. We know that um, there are an awful lot of writers and journalists in prison right now. Um, we know that um, there's been a, 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 a big abuse of terror law. Um, and so you know, all those bad things are going on. And... Um, the, you know the C word censorship. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we've just had the London Book Fair, you know, at which Turkish publishing, vibrant, diverse, growing, um, people, you know, many many different types of writers, uh, many with very very strong um, dissident political views, but also um, crime, fantasy. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure if we had any zombies, but they, <laughs> not, yeah, not yet. we had um, you know, the, the whole range. So it's very mm -hmm. much a, a contemporary publishing scene and then a very, very interesting um, uh, literary scene, if you like. How do you put those two things together? Um, well, I think these, these two things uh, go hand in hand uh, from, from the beginning of the Republic, from, the, from, from its first years. Uh, you know, the, the, the foundation of the Turkish Republic was a was a was a great um, was a great step uh, in 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 industry, but it also came with uh, certain restrictions on freedom of speech and uh, cer certain censorship uh, acts. Um, and the reason for that was that there was this official ideology of the of the of the republic. Um, you might want to just explain a little bit um, what was happening before the republic. Uh, you know why the republic. I, um, 
uh-huh. decided to do what it, it did. Um, <laughs> yeah, by which I mean, Ataturk. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was this war. The, the, there was the, this the, war. The great war. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, of course, uh, what 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 uh, what brought Turkey to the to the Great War was uh, these two guys, Enver and Talat Pasha's. Mm. Uh, we don't like them anymore. Um, they they killed lots of Armenians, and um, they're responsible for some uh, horrific acts. Um, uh, but they also happen to be like great modernizers and uh, sort of Republican uh, ideologists. And so when when uh, when they when they wanted to change the country, when they wanted to transform it, um, they also got rid of uh, anyone who was standing in their way. Mm. So if we if a, we make like a comparison yeah. to a recurring today, theme, yes. yeah, so uh, you can say that and you know, the government wants to solve the Kurdish question now in Turkey, uh, but they have like a particular way of solving it, and if you get in their way, then you're in trouble. Mm. So uh, th- th- this government is accused of being anti-republican uh, and you know uh, undermining the republic republican values. But uh, in that sense, uh, it's doing, you can say that it's doing a similar thing in that uh, it's getting rid of uh, some of the some of the dissenting voices. Uh, going back to that war we were talking about, World War World War One, um, yeah, before the uh, Turkish Republic. Um, would you agree that the, the major art form was in poetry? Would you say? Um, yeah, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the first Turkish novels uh, started uh, coming out in 1870s, uh, uh, and before that, there's this great poet uh, poetry tradition, the Divan poetry, um, which is, which almost has like a half half a millennia of history, um, but which had to stop because of the foundation of the uh, republic because uh, it changed uh, Turkish culture so fundamentally that uh, the language was changed and the the, the, the poetic language that was used uh, was no longer needed and so if you if you use that language you could be considered as a reactionary because uh, you know it's like the 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 language of the aristocracy so they replaced it with this uh, simplified language, so which which helped uh, Turkish novel because novel is you know uh, better with uh, simple like, language. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, but <laughs> um, remember where you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but but um, um, but I think the the the, fa- the foundation of the Turkish novel was a protest to this elaborate language. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. It's like uh, it's like let's u- let's use a very clear, plain language where you can actually read. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone can actually read, and let's get rid of these elaborate things. Let's get of re- rid of these uh, things that that are not really needed in, in language. They're like and and so um, the 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 novel as a form is um, very much part of the Westernizing project at the beginning of the yeah, republic. You would yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the in in Turkey um, uh, in in Ottoman history there's this period called uh, the regulation period which we refer to as Tanzimat. Um, uh, it it uh, it took place during 19th century uh, when uh, the Ottoman sultans uh, wanted to modernize the country in fundamental ways. Uh, they they tried to uh, modernize the army. They introduced uniforms. They um, they also um, 
tried to introduce a constitution uh, where uh, the rights of minorities could be protected, all those things. And then uh, this great westernizing movement um, created this type in Turkish society, which we call the, um, the sort of um, dandy, the sort of figure who, who who is like too much immersed in Western culture, who likes uh, Western culture uh, more than uh, is expected. And and you can give the Turkish name for the dandy. Oh, we say. Um, uh, what do we say? Zuppe, yeah, yeah. Zuppe. You say we call yeah, them Zuppe. Yeah. And uh, I'm a great admirer of uh, Oscar Wilde and uh, the decadent movement. So it's 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 really sad for me to see that the, the birth of the Turkish novel uh, is so deeply connected with uh, this demonization of the dandy figure, uh, because this dandy figure. Uh, this Zippe figure was, uh, he wanted too much modernization, too much uh, Western values. So the first first Turkish novels, um, which are like Araba Sevdası or um, Feratun Bey, Rakım Efendi, these novels which came out in 1870s, um, they, were, they were novels about um, what was um, called as we, uh, the, the wrong Westernization of Turkish society. So westernization was necessary, but there was a wrong way of doing mm -hmm. it, uh, which was doing it too much. Um, so um, th that's how the birth of the Turkish novel came about. These uh, these problematic characters uh, invented by the authors, Rejaiza Dema, for for didactic purposes, uh -huh. partly. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so these characters, the, the novelist can look down upon this character. And be like, uh, you're such a dandy. You shouldn't be like this. And you should be just, uh, you know, a bit moral in 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 how you behave. Like, so they're like mor morality tales, uh, more or less, uh, and uh, also uh, ideological, of course, mm -hmm. very ideological, uh, which is which which make, which make them very different from the divan poetry uh, tradition. Yeah. Uh you recently wrote that uh, you hated literature <laughs> when you were in secondary school. Uh, I I hated uh, the kind of books that we were, we were assigned to read uh, because um, I found them out of touch with reality and um, out of touch with I don't know the, the, the Turkey, uh, in fact, and because uh, those books, uh, the uh, for example. Let's talk about Jakub Kadrikarosmanoglu, this uh, very famous Turkish novelist, uh, who wrote a novel called Yaban, which is mm -hmm. like the stranger. Um, it's all about um, uh, this intellectual figure who is uh, uh, who wants to change his country, who has lots of ideals, who is a romantic. Uh, but then there's the society who don't want to change. They're like we are we are really good like this. We don't want to change, but then he's like, oh, you you got to change. Um, <laughs> and if you don't want to change, then uh, we'll send some tanks to you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll make you change, however you uh, if whether you like it or not. So uh, this this great team in Turkish novel this uh, disconnect between the intellectual and the masses. The so tormented intellectual. Yeah, the yeah. tormented yeah. intellectual. I mean, the novel is the novel is called The Stranger. Yeah. Um, and then uh, these books I found boring, and I, I was like, 
no, the, the, the people are not like that and they're not such intellectuals here. So why are we being uh, taught these novels? And um, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I was into video games a lot and I preferred uh, Super Mario and Luigi to Regiza the Ekrem's characters, <laughs> really, because, because um, you know, these were like so patronizing novels that, you know, it didn't give you any sense of freedom or liberty, uh, unlike in Super Mario games. <laughs> so how did it change? Which, ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I think... Um, in, in, at school, we were never taught writers like Ahmet Ambitampanar, Ozatai, these sort of writers who had like a more problematic relationship with 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 the Republican ideology, who dared uh, made fun of it, who were like ironical and they they use parody. Um, I I think it's maybe like Tampanar and Ozatai are the great examples, but they were never uh, assigned to us at school. Uh, but but we uh, discovered them. So wh which uh, is the Tampanar book that um, you like the most? <laughs> I, I asked leadingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, it's um, <laughs> which uh, Maureen has just translated, and which is due out this year, I think. <laughs> which is a which is a translation we're looking forward to read, <laughs> which is, which is I'm, I'm sure it's great, and <laughs> and it's about uh, I think the regulation period, right? Uh, we don't know when it's. I mean, it's sort of a fairy. It's sort of doesn't pin itself down. It's the beginning of the Republic. Mm. Yeah. But but not yeah. Huh. But you can explain what the plot is, what the Time Regulation Institute itself is. Uh, I'm testing him now. Because yeah. uh, I do, I know. Yeah. <laughs> really, I, I, I don't know really. Well, what was it? <laughs> was it like about modernizing the country? Oh, there was a there is a a time there's an institute that's started to regulate time, uh, uh, and so they just make up all these different regulations for time, and that means they don't have to do any work, but they have a, a nice office to go to. <laughs> yeah. And, good. Uh, and then they, um, uh, there are various, um, you can get a fine if uh, you're in the vicinity of two clocks that don't match, mm -hmm. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a satire about, I mean, I, I take it as a satire about Kemalism, but I mean, yeah. yeah, but, but the, there's so much material for satire. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The language changes, the calendar changes. Uh, I mean, and the, this the is all changes. in late 1920s, early 1930s. Yeah, um, it happens just like that. You know, yeah, just like yeah. uh, like in a week or something. So there's the alphabet revolution, um, which uh, had some reason for it because uh, um, very few people could read, um, and even those who could read had difficulty uh, mm -hmm. with it. And uh, and then you have the language revolution on top of that. And so why don't you explain to people what the language Revolution. So it's not just losing the Arabic script and going on to the Latin, a version of the Latin script. There's a, this other yeah, project about just, reforming the language. Yeah, it's a very inventive process because uh, words are invented, and then uh, it's it's actually part of a much um, broader project, uh, which 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 wants to prove that all races are coming from the Turks. It's like it's like yeah. the uh, the Indians were Turks actually, <laughs> and the uh, Europeans were Turks, and like Turk the the Turk character was this common ancestor, uh, but strangely, I mean, its language was invented by these modernizers, so they they created these myths uh, in 1920s. The sun language. Yeah, yeah the sun yeah. language yeah. theory, um, um, and 
they, they really loved, I think, inventing these new things for for uh, and introducing them to the to, to people. And they also changed the prayer language. They, they they changed it from Arabic to Turkish, which was not very popular. And um, people um, started revolting against these changes. Um, and then they were violently repressed, if I can uh, put it this way. In 1925, there was this um, um, law of law of uh, maintenance of the order, maintenance of the order law, 1925, um, which was a law that was imposed on those who rebelled against these modernizing movements, which were Kurds and Islamists. Uh, so. Um, they didn't agree with what uh, modernizers in Ankara uh, believed were good for them, and they were published by they were punished by these um, so-called freedom courts, istiklal uh, mahkemeleri, which which also punished Nazim Hikmet, the, the great communist poet, uh, because Nazim Hikmet also had lots of problems with with Kemalism and and the and the foundation of the republic. Yeah, so now we get to the um, the other side of the story. Despite all the you know the, the freedom courts and the regulation and the changing nail spread and so on, uh, uh, Turkey has um, a long-standing tradition of uh, dissent and dissenting writers, and you could almost say that most of the um, you know, writers who are in the canon now are the ones who uh, stood up against all this, uh, often paying quite a bit of quite a big price. Would you agree with that, or no, am I overstating no, it? I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to disagree. Uh, the one reason is that um, the the founders of the Turkish ideology were writers, actually. They were like novelists. They were like working for the government uh, in a place called the Translation Bureau, uh, mm. which was set up by, by the Foreign Ministry of Turkey, uh, and which was, uh, which was placed on Bab Ali Street. Uh, mm -hmm. in Istanbul, which is like comparable to the Fleet Street, where all the newspapers uh, uh, are built and also the government buildings mm -hmm. and also this translation bureau where we had uh, Tevfik Fikret, the, the great uh, poet, and Namuk Kemal, another one. All your favorite writers? All your favorite writers? <laughs> no, these are yeah. like the, uh, yeah. the the boring ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but, but they were like, uh, they were paid like really handsome uh, uh, fees for, for their services to the government. Mm -hmm. They were like uh, constantly translating French poems into Turkish, French ideas into Turkish. Uh, they, they had this thing with the French. They, they really loved French ideas. <laughs> and then, um, and so they decided to, to change everything into, to, to, to have, have the French do it. And so, mm -hmm. um, and th th they were not like uh, distant writers. They were, they were the state. Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, the, the, the first military coup in Turkish history uh, is Babali Baskana, the, the, how should we, how she say I leave it to you. Uh, the, the occupation of Babali or, or the raid yeah, yeah, okay, Babali, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was led by these uh, bad guys, the, the Talat Bey and Enver Bey, uh, the guys who killed the Armenians. And so uh, th these two guys, uh, when they came to uh, Babali streets, uh, there was this novelist, uh, Mersey Fettin. Mm -hmm. Who was uh, trying to uh, trying to talk to people and be like, "Come on, let's rebel against the government. Let's let's make a coup. Let's make a military coup." And Amar Seyfettin is this very famous Turkish novelist, um, and he was 
so um, so active in this uh, coup attempt that I think he made like a, an example, for, like one of the first examples. And so they were not. I mean, they were dissidents. If you uh, look from the perspective of the of the uh, sultan and mm. the emperors and you know the aristocracy, but if you look from the uh, from the perspective of the republican elite, then so they were like yeah. uh, good. What you're saying is that writers were uh, centrally involved in the um, uh, the reconstruction of culture, if you like, uh -huh. um, but um, th they they had. They were also dissent. There was a tradition of dissenting writers as well. So we're talking about Nazim Hikmet. We're talking about Orhan Kemal. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, later on, others. Uh -huh. Yeah. And Nazim Hikmet was, for example, invited by Atatürk to 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 the Dolmabahçe Palace and to 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 uh, contribute to the to to his um, to his revolutionary program. This is one of the times when he went, didn't wasn't in jail. Yeah. Okay. I have yeah. uh, uh, after he refused the problems began after he refused. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, because uh, Kemalism has, a, has a, of course, a very um, revolutionary and leftist side to it, but uh, Nazmik Met thought it should be, it had to be like more revolutionary. Mm. It had to be like more Soviet style. Uh, but uh, after doing the revolution, uh, Atatürk was like, okay, this is enough. You know, we don't, we won't have any more revolutions. So I want all writers to come to Ankara and uh, work with us. And so there was this magazine called Kadro, the Kadro magazine, yeah. where uh, Murat Belge's uh, father uh, was working. Uh, and so this magazine is uh, there, are like writers there, leftist writers, but who made peace with the state apparatus, who are like. Okay, we won't demand anything else. We'll work for you. Except for a good salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you'll have excellent salaries. And Jakub Kadri was one of them. Um, and so just just give us some ideas about how we can modernize this country better. So they gave lots of ideas. And so they lost their uh, dissident status. So they became uh, writers of the state, I mean. Yeah, so you were either a writer of the state or you were a writer in and out of the custody of the state. Yes. Yeah, um, you're in prison. You're in prison, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, when I was growing up, that was pretty much um, you know, what one saw. Uh, and then we had a number of clues, people in and out of prison. And then, we, of course, we have the, the worst coup of all, which is in 1980. Yeah. But something happens to uh, Turkish writing and Turkish publishing after 1980. I was wondering if you could explain. Well, I was born in '81, <laughs> but, but 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 I I remember like there was this boutique bookshop. Uh, no, but but but, uh, but seriously, I I remember. Uh, I I read a lot about '80s and um, '80s. And you believed everything we've told you. <laughs> yeah, you said it was a terrible time, but there was also some interesting things happening. Um, I think the military, I mean, the di dictatorship ended around '85 or something. Yeah. And then Özal came, this this uh, liberal uh, prime minister, and he was like, "Okay, so now I'm, I'm going to introduce liberalism to this country. Thank, thank you, soldiers. We're going to do liberalism now." And then the the atmosphere changed, uh, but uh, I think it changed in a good way for publishers mm -hmm. because uh, before that there were like uh, just a handful of uh, publishing houses mm -hmm. like very big ones and um, 
afterwards there was like Metis Publishing House, for example, mm -hmm. what we call the boutique publishing houses, like like Granta Books, like maybe we can compare it to that. Um, uh, these publishing houses, which were uh, which were addressing a niche uh, audience, and uh, lots of uh, lots of the leftist intellectuals migrated from prisons to these publishing houses, <laughs> and they became editors. Uh, these revolutionaries, they gave up guns and they became uh, proofreaders, and uh, this this great migration began. <laughs> and they, 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 the the um, the Turkish publishing scene got really exciting, I think, in those years. And the, and there was an awful lot of publishing of um, red line subjects, if you like. Um, and there were some ca famous cases and so on. But the the most important thing is that they do um, bring these mm -hmm. things out. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Ismail Beşikçi, for example, this a great Kurdish writer who 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 wrote about the the uh, the history of the Kurds, and there was Ragab Zarakolo, this uh, this great publisher. I think he was in jail yes, uh, last year, but now yeah, he's, he's out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's always going in and out. He's hiding right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's this uh, very courageous figure who was uh, doing lots of publishing in the 80s, and um, I think when you look at the 80s, one of the big issues were was the Kurdish question. Because the Kurds were the uh, were the most uh, outspoken critics yeah. of the military dictatorship, because yeah. they got it the worst in Diyarbakir in the yeah. east. Uh, there was this famous uh, prison of Diyarbakir, where uh, torture was uh, like in legendary uh, proportions, and so they rebelled. Um, and they also went into publishing and they started to uh, publish they, they they tried to publish in Kurdish uh, but they but they couldn't of course um, because Kurdish was not accepted as an official language it was banned yeah it was yeah. banned it yeah. was called uh, uh, you know it, it's this it's the sound uh, your your uh, boots make on uh, ice it's like cart kurt it's like cart kurt so it's like uh, these Turks who are living on mountains uh, that when they're living when they're um, walking on snow, they hear this sound and they think they're they're Kurds. And there there is this official explanation, but the, but that's uh, um, that's really that's really the official explanation of the of the Kurdish uh, identity. And so the government failed to convince Kurds that they were just uh, noises from their from the boots, mm. and the Kurds uh, disagreed and they were like, no, we're 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 different ethnicity and so they brought some new energy to the publishing scene yeah and well. there, uh, although you know there were these prosecutions continuing going on it was it was considered really um just part of one's job really um and they uh -huh. weren't uh, a lot of the prosecutions weren't turning into serious sentences and so on and there is a some there is a, in the 90s and uh, the beginning of the new millennium a real sense of opening up with um, hmm. Turkey moving towards Europe and so on, and then, and then, and then, <laughs> yeah. uh, there are so many things. I yeah, mean, yeah. um, uh, uh, Oran Pamuk won the Nobel Prize thanks to your translation. Would <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I say that? <laughs> no, uh, no, but uh, you mean the the, the <laughs> case against Oran Pamuk? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just what was happening then, because people—he was not the only person who was writing about the Armenian question. 
Yeah, I think it was around uh, 2004, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the Armenian issue was very hot, and everyone well, everyone wanted to talk about it. And write about it. And write about yeah. it, and present papers about it. And, and even the, some of the grandsons of the bad guys were writing about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You mean yeah. Hasan Jemal? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This this famous Turkish journalist, who is um, who is yes, as you say, one of the descendants of the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, there was this group of Turkish intellectuals who wanted to discuss the Armenian issue, and they tried to organize a conference uh, in Istanbul about this issue. But then um, the nationalists thought it was a bad idea, you know, it was not like a very Turkish thing to do. And so they tried to uh, stop that from happening mm-hmm. and they, they, so they attacked all these university uh, halls and they tried to stop it and that was like uh, a very bad time. I mean, wh- when we look at the noughties as like a good decade, mm-hmm. um, we tend to forget that you know all these terrible things happened, uh, and then of course the, the murder of Rand thing happened at around the same time. Uh, so the Armenian issue was 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 the uh, was the real taboo in in those years. But uh, suddenly, yeah, suddenly, yeah. very interestingly, now you can say anything you like about it, and nothing happens. Yeah, uh, but one of the very strange. One of the really interesting things about this. Uh, time of, you know, 301 season is sometimes how I think of it. And there were lots of other writers who were prosecuted, um, some known here, some not known here, and a lot of distinguished journalists and so on and so forth. So all that was going on. None of it was, and it was hate campaigning. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, turning people into hate targets rather than uh, trying to put them behind bars. So it was a very bad time for writers, but the, the publishing didn't stop. You know, the publishing ca- carried no. on being just as diverse. How did you understand that? I think it, I think it was a it was a uh, movement against intellectuals because mm-hmm. the Turkish state uh, liked intellectuals who were like state intellectuals who mm-hmm. worked for their for for the for good salaries yeah for yeah. good salaries and for the for the uh, improvement of the state apparatus but these intellectuals were like no we do, we don't identify with the state uh, yeah. in fact we 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 were trying to undermine it. We're trying to deconstruct it philosophically. We want mm-hmm. to see uh, the foundations on which it is built. So I think the media got very angry about this because they want they they were used to intellectuals being on the side of the state. And the media is not particularly independent. Ah uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I can't I can't say that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had like big uh, business interests mm-hmm. with 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 the with the governments and. Um, and um, actually, the uh, the media wanted a nationalist government. They didn't like AKP either. They were like, "Oh, you're Islamists and you're Kurds. We don't want you. We want nationalists ruling this country, mm-hmm. but like proper nationalists. You know, it's not like two two nationalists or like little nationalists, but proper nationalists." And so these uh, Turkish uh, intellectuals didn't fit into that category, and so they they were attacked um, because I I think um, there was a sense of betrayal. You know, they they felt they felt betrayed. The state mm-hmm. apparatus felt betrayed by the intellectuals. They were like, "How can you do this? How can you do this? You know, you, you were educated in the greatest schools, in the best schools. You went to 
the states you 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 came back you became professors i mean you're um well educated people how can you say these things about the republic and the foundation of the republic so uh, i think they decided to punish them so that uh, that's how how the how these groups were instrumentalized so now we are into the uh, 2006, 2007, and 2008. Yeah, we're and coming to the. Okay. Then you publish <laughs> Majira. This is uh, yeah. um, Hayat's first novel, and which does very, very well. Yes, um, um, immediately very, very well, and uh, gets great notice. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't uh, do well, like uh, in well, sales figures. It's just oh, like we don't count that in <laughs> places like now. <laughs> I think they're just uh, just a, a thousand copies. Yeah. That ever existed of the yeah, book. But the very important one of copies. them is here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> there was the, there was no second second. Uh, but the um, I was wondering if you could explain um, the genesis the genesis of uh, Majera La Ventura. You know what um, what gave you the idea and also yeah, try to explain what it's about. <laughs> try. Yeah. Yeah. I I studied uh, film and TV at, at university and I wrote a dissertation on La Ventura. Uh, Antonio and his film, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a great fan of the film, uh, and I watched it like tens of times. And then uh, when I started writing myself, uh, I, f I found myself under the influence um, because you know uh, the film begins uh, when uh, the girlfriend of the main character uh, gets lost on a on a on a boat trip, and then they start to search for her they're trying to find her but then like uh, after like half an hour they forget about the girl and then uh, this guy falls in love with this other girl and then they travel around uh, Italy they go to churches they go to parties and then what happened to that girl you know you no, no one asks about her uh, anymore so I, I, I like that structure uh, and I, I, I wanted to be like a novel which had like no center, which was like, you know, like moving with the wind, and um, everyone expect me, uh, expected me to write uh, like a very serious novel, and um, and I found myself uh, unable to write one, and I was like constantly uh, irritated by my own uh, seriousness. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and and uh, so I was like. This is not good, you know. I, I, this is like this is just like the boring novels that I used to read at at high school, and I'll be one of them. So <laughs> I should just turn it on its head and, you know, just make fun of the whole thing, you know. They just make fun of the whole story, and so I I I I tried to undermine all the sentences, like I I tried to make them like tune them in such a way that they sound silly and. But you uh, you do you do much more than that because um, it does. Uh, you tantalize, so you 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 are uh, you have this amazing narrator who oh. just builds these incredibly long but very easy to read uh, to write on sentences, you know, with the wind. And uh, so you're wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen at the end of this very long sentence, and then you turn it. Mm -hmm. So um, you're doing the one thing and the opposite with this um, with this narrator. You, yeah. Before you undermine something, you have to set it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but of so. course the, the 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 narrator is also undermined because the narrator is like a parody of these uh, these Rejaiza the Ekrem guys uh, who are like, oh, you shouldn't be like this. You have to be just like uh, how I want you to be. You know, uh, 
uh, who's always like patronizing and condescending and I tried to make fun of that uh, novelistic voice um, that was one of my intentions. So um, how did it happen uh, that, it, that it became funny? Were you just uh, in despair about the, your, your boring, <laughs> sorrowful, melancholy... Yeah, I, I was in Amsterdam. I was uh -huh. writing in Amsterdam and I was under the influence and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of the weather and, uh, and all the good things about Amsterdam. And then, um, yeah, one day I was like, you know, maybe maybe I'm a comic novelist. You know, maybe I'm not a serious novelist. Maybe maybe it's like, you know, the the, the novel was born from the you know the comic tradition. And maybe maybe it's an anomaly in Tur in Turkey that it you know it was like morality tales. So I was like, oh, let, let's try that. Uh, let's let's try to be experimental and let's try to be funny. And um, but but I, th I don't think many got the joke really. They were like, my 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 mother li was like. I can't get past the thirtieth page, you know. It's like <laughs> I think she'll never finish. Well, you, you got really good reviews, but uh, a lot of the reviews were they were quite su you know, surprised. Yes, it, they, yeah, they yeah, thought yeah. well, maybe you were making fun of them, or you know, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. what is this? I mean, is it like <laughs> is it like laughing at me? And um, <laughs> and in Turkey, the literary world is very serious. With as, you've been, as you've gathered, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with some uh, notable exceptions, like Murat Mentes, for example, who was here. Yeah, yeah. some uh, new Aziz generation. Aziz Nesin, yeah, the the only one really. Tampanar well. sometimes, not yeah. always, not always. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, but I think uh, writing a comic novel is not a very very very, very pres prestigious thing. It's like you have to be series and be like mm -hmm. uh, continue that tradition in order to be to uh, be seriously uh, taken seriously uh, I put it to you that actually it is serious but you're mm -hmm. hiding it, it, there's, there's something serious in there where yeah where <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I I'll find see. it and show you <laughs> uh, I wanted uh, to ask you about well several things first of all you um, write novels, but you also are a fellow translator, yes? Yeah. And I have ten books. You have ten books. I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just explain what you, you know, why you translate. Um, I mean, uh, aside from the making a living thing, which we'll talk uh, about yeah. later. Yeah. yeah, actually it began with Oran Pamuk, because uh, Oran Pamuk was, uh, and is still editing a, a uh, world's classic series for a Turkish publishing house, Iletishim. And he wanted to make it very fancy and like like the Penguin classics. Um, so he he was he he wanted to uh, translate all the Russian uh, classics. Not personally. <laughs> no, 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 no. There are some uh, great translators, but he want he wanted to write introductions himself. Okay. And so we were we were getting like a Dostoevsky translation every month. With a it, 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 it. with a with a long introduction by Oran Pamuk, okay. which was like which was like every month, so we were like <laughs> having a difficult time to finish the <laughs> old book. And then there was all these Russian novels, and he likes Russian literature so much. Uh, and then I was at the university. Then I went to Amsterdam, and when I when I came back, I somehow met him, and I I, I introduced the idea that why isn't there like English classics? You know, English also wrote some classics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some funny ones too, uh, like the Diary of a Nobody, which which is one of my favorite books. So I I proposed translating that, um, and of course it it wasn't taken seriously. You know who, who takes seriously the Diary of a Nobody? 
in Turkey, but but it was fun translating it. It 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 was like uh, something that I would enjoy writing, mm. and so uh, we also did some uh, prefaces for French classics. Mm-hmm. I translated lots of Julian Barnes, his essays on French literature. So we put them on in these French novels, and. Nabokov, we did mm-hmm. some Nabokov, and it began with these essays, and then I began translating no- uh, novels, and I th- th- then I um, tried to uh, take like bigger projects, mm-hmm. which uh, one of the latest examples of which was the Norton Critical Edition of Sherlock Holmes. So it came to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Tom McCarthy, I translated Tom McCarthy's C, uh, C yeah, which was a great novel, but very difficult to translate. So that that's like the tenth novel that I did. And how would you say that it has um, affected um, or influenced your own writing? What is the relationship between these mm. books that you translate and the ideas that you have? Yeah, I, I started writing in English uh, uh, in 2011. Like I started. Writing essays and mm-hmm. book reviews and personal stuff in English, and I realized that it was thanks to these translations that I, I was uh, that that I had mastered English language, uh, mm-hmm. like or uh, also wanted co- to converse in it, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was always conversing with these writers, and now I wanted to imitate them. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm know, glad you like say that. that, because I thought that that was just me, that uh, <laughs> when I'm translating uh, something, I'm having a conversation, unrecorded, thank God, <laughs> yeah. conversation with the author. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but, yes, but. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, so I also did some translations from uh, Turkish to English, uh-huh. which is completely different story. Mm. Um, uh, I did some catalog translations for, yeah. I, I went to the art scene, that sort of thing. But um, I think it's like 10 books is enough for now. Yeah, but you yeah. were also saying that there was a problem, um, there's a kind of a, a general criticism of uh, books coming from English into Turkish. You said they, what were the words that they were using for it? Ah yeah yeah the, we some readers call them katur kutur some say um it's like uh, akmio they're like not flowing no not flowing it's like there's some something uh, that, in my that, throat. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i can't swallow this sentence you know there's something uh, there's some bone in it i can't swallow it properly and so there are ways to uh, get rid of that criticism mm-hmm. which which we're trying to, you know. Yes, but now uh, you're going to take a holiday. But I wanted, I wanted to talk about um, your you know, your second writing career, the the one that's in English. Yes, uh, I mean, obviously you 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 wrote uh, academically in English before mm-hmm. you um, did anything else. So there's there's that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wrote a dissertation on Conrad Wilde and Stevenson, and then I I I, I got I, w- I was fascinated by late Victorian uh, literature. And so I started writing uh, essays on late Victorian authors, and um, I started pitching them to to English and American publications, mm-hmm. and somehow they started accepting them. And so I found myself in this 
just this other position of like uh, essayist. So I I, I tried to uh, become like a proper essayist. I tried to do like long form essays. Mm. Um, I did some essays for uh, London Review of Books, which they cut into like very small pieces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, now now I'm like a full time essayist. I'm like mm -hmm. writing essays all the time. And I, what is the uh, for you the advantage of having this, if you like? Um, two uh, parallel careers, one in Turkish and, and one in English. Do you think there's certain, are there certain types of things that you would only want to do in Turkish or no rules or no, change the rules every day? It's like you don't get bored because, yeah. I mean, you begin the day with your novel, you, you write a new chapter. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In what and language? Then, yeah. yeah, for example, in English and in the afternoon, I do an interview with this uh, Turkish uh, Minister of Culture for a newspaper, and then I write it for the newspaper. And in the evening, I settle for an essay. <laughs> I write for I write an essay, <laughs> and then I go to sleep. Kind of life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a terrible life. It's like this mechanic life. But. Um, I think it's 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 you know there's no other way to live for a writer you know you just want to write as much as you can. But it's not. Um, I I suspect that there are going to be um, uh, many more writers in Turkey and countries like Turkey who will be writing in English or another language, um, or a second language if you like, mm -hmm. uh, and their yeah. own. Hmm. Um, but it's slightly controversial, I would say, in Turkey now or not. You disagree with me. Why is it controversial? No, no, I don't think so. I okay. think Elif Shafak is the great example. She's writing in English. First, there was this discussion about whether to uh, place her books in in for foreign fiction or in like uh, like Turkish writers, and there was this um, great critic of hers. She was like, "No, we have to put her into the foreign fiction uh, uh, section." And then they were like, "Why? It's 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 so stupid." Uh, because she also works on the Turkish translation herself. She like polishes it. So, um, but apart from that critic, I didn't see anyone complaining. Like, how how can you write in English? They're, I I think people are um, proud proud of her success. Yeah, They're yeah. like, oh, she's like this great company who's doing well in Europe. You know, something <laughs> like that. You know, she's so successful and. We are proud of her. I mean, I didn't see any signs of, you know, antagonism yeah. against. Yeah, yeah. but her, I mean, that's a sign of how things have changed because it really was um, 
well, in my in my view, anyway, um, a, a closed uh, culture, uh, a culture that was very engaged with outside literatures, but not very much noticed, and so there was a a, a sense yeah. of being small and having to protect one's own and so on. And and now mm. it's much more confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, the, the the use of language was very problematic in, for example, as late as in the 90s. Mm -hmm. For example, Elif Shafak was using Arabic words. Yeah, she got like, into big trouble for that. Yeah. yeah, people, how can you use Arabic words? Are you a traitor? Something yeah. like that. And so are you trying to uh, bring us back to the Ottoman times? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Uh, because there were like two, two, uh, two big camps. Mm -hmm. One was like the pure purists, like we'll just use the words that were invented after 1925. We just we won't use any other words. We're just going to continue that tradition. And then the, the other camp was like, you're going to use words you never heard of yeah, because <laughs> from the Middle Ages. And it's, it's going to look so interesting, but you'll never understand. Uh, and then, the, but there was this, uh, this third group uh, arose and they were like, oh, why don't we use them both? You know, pick uh, some of them from here, pick some of them from there. And I think we got used to these old words as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I when I uh, hear them now, I can tell their meaning. Before you couldn't. Yeah, even istiklal. You know, we, there's this famous istiklal street. What does istiklal mean? You, know, you have to tell people. Ask, yeah. hey, it means like freedom. Yeah. Um, but people were like, "What's that word? I never heard of it." And so there was this uh, disconnect between words and people. So. Uh, if you're going to look at uh, what is coming out now, you know, you know, you you've been called um, one of the you know, leading people of the new generation of Turkish writers, and I know what a generous person you are. So you're going to mention a few others. Who who do you uh, like to read? <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be a new generation. Who who, who do you think is very interesting mm, in Turkey right now? My my favorite writer is Shaukar Altanel, who's a who's a poet. Doesn't he live here? Ah, yes, he, he lives, lives in here. England. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's this great. I think the greatest Turkish poet is living in, in England, yeah. and no one knows it. <laughs> it's a strange irony. Yeah. And he he also he's I, I think also the inspiration behind the the, the poet character in Snow. Okay. Like you translated okay. <laughs> <laughs> the car the car character. Well, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Partly based on yeah. him. Uh, I like him, but he's not young, of course. Uh, the young writers I like Murat Mentesh. This, mm -hmm. um, comic, yeah, this, comic this writer, very, yeah. very comic writer who is coming from an Islamist uh, background, but who is very postmodern as well. Mm -hmm. Who is using all these references from different worlds, um, and I like uh, Karin Karakashle, for example, this great Armenian writer mm -hmm. uh, who is also a poet. I and like she's very work. young. Yeah, yeah, she's very, yeah. she's very young. Yeah. Um, and I like Periyam Madan. I'm one of her biggest fans. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think you have to explain a bit about her writing because she's quite unique. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's 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 this uh, very violent writer. <laughs> her her style is like very. And she's funny too. Yeah. She's yeah. Yeah. Too. Very energetic. Her sentences are like two words long, or like four words long. But she's like very angry about everything and everyone. And <laughs> uh, she's like, oh, I'm gonna kill everyone. I'm and I'm I'm just gonna be the last man standing and I write a novel about this and you just read it and 
uh, I, I like her work. Um, and uh, yeah, you might think think of another one. I see. I see a theme, though. You like the funny ones, the comic ones, yeah. Yeah, now, I like the mad um, ones. Why do you think that there, you, know, you, you did say that there's not much of a tradition of comedy, irony, all, the, all those? Mm -hmm. So where do the inspirations come from? Do they come from other literatures? Yeah, I think I think so, uh, and I think from television, Seinfeld and all these TV series, <laughs> uh, and a, a, a certain sense of irony and. A certain demand for outrage. Um, I, I think uh, television was very influential for, for for the new generation of writers. I mean, more than more than the novelists, and of course these new American novelists like the Max Sweeney writers, mm -hmm. the Dave Eggers, and you know, all these uh, angry and ironic young men yeah. and women. I think they they have their counterparts in Turkish literature as well. Yeah, I mean, when, when I was assigning a course on the post-war um, a module, as we have to call it here, um, on post-war British fiction, with another writer who was about my age, uh, so starting to write in the mid '70s, um, we were supposed to put the books that had really influenced us from the previous generation, and we looked at each other and said, "We didn't read those people." <laughs> yeah, we, it was all people out. You know, it was all writers mm. from elsewhere. Not necessarily in English, you know, uh, certain uh, writers from North America, but also European writers, Latin American writers, Asian mm -hmm. writers. And um, so to get an understanding of our generation, you, you know, you, you can't just go the national route. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing for your generation of writers. Um, yeah, and it's also exactly. not just books. Yeah. But uh, in Turkey, the, there's a problem because the, you, you, we don't have like essayists in Turkey. I mean, oh, you, we have you. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not like a proper Turkish essayist. Okay. Uh, I mean, when you look all these, when you look at these, all these young writers, they're like great essayists. Most of them are great essayists, and they're like uh, publications where they can publish their essays and earn some money. And in Turkey, we don't have these um, publications. Yeah, even the, those ones that we have, they don't pay you. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's a lack of essayism in, in, in Turkish literature mm -hmm. which is I think a problem because you know writing essays uh, educates writers you know they, they have a sense of subject and you know they're thinking they're reflecting yeah, yeah, yeah. they hold the process and so you know after writing essays you can write a novel maybe more easily because like every chapter is an essay something like mm -hmm. that but we don't have these things so the writers are like uh, being from unpublished, you know, published nothing in in her life, for example, then trying to write a 500-page long novel, which I think is is not so we easy do to that achieve. Here. We do that here as well. <laughs> really? Yes, unfortunately. Yes, <laughs> yes. But the um, the publishing, yeah. But what's happening now with publishing is we have independence, but we have globalizing. You know, we have these big giants coming up now. We're in Turkey. In Turkey, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So what do you make of that? Uh, giants, which giants? Well, I, I don't say, know oh, the um, the, oh, I mean, the, there's certain, you know, Doan, Kitab, and so and so and so forth. So oh, you yeah. have, you have, you have uh, certain types of publishing that are becoming, looking more like um, publishers here or. Yeah, I think they're imitating Penguin and Random House. Uh, there, I mean, before we didn't have like hardcover books, or we didn't have like these mass market books. We just had books in one size, and they all came in the same 
date but now they're like more uh, like calendars they're like programming it beforehand they're uh, having these big uh, print runs and and promotion promotion wasn't there yeah, yeah um, great promotion and the media and the publishing world are working together uh, uh, more so there are like lots of interviews so I'm, I'm like a literary journalist in Turkey as well so it's like lots of material for for literary journalists um, before it was for example very difficult to um, talk to writers like Milan Kundera for example you know, that that generation of writers the literary journalists had a much more difficult time with that generation but now we can you know we can just reach anyone and they come uh, to Turkey for promoting their books so yes it's it's more like a uh, cooperation between cultures and of, uh, another new development is the late arrival but um, rather flamboyant arrival of agents yeah yeah, yeah the agents yeah. we have two we have I think three agents in Turkey they're big though <laughs> two are big <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think the first agent came about uh, 2000. It's, it's a very recent thing. And I think uh, it began with Murat Amungan. Uh -huh. Murat Amungan wrote a novel. And then he didn't go to the, the publishing house. He went to this agent and he was like, you sell this to the publishing house. Let's see what happens. Um, and then so uh, the the... the the role of the the agent was born, and now all writers, almost all writers, have agents. Um, One or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. have much choice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there's this fierce struggle between these agents, which is very interesting to see. And everybody's complaining about their agent all the time. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, you can just change it yeah. once, you know. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just one <laughs> chance. <laughs> then you're like on your own. <laughs> Uh, so, so I didn't make a decision. I'm like, I won't work with an agent. So I'm like, I have two choices. <laughs> <laughs> but also, they've been uh, extraordinarily successful in selling um, Turkish writing abroad. I mean, that is, I think. Yeah, last week, some big news came yeah, from yeah, Bloomsbury. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however, with all this um, business going on, um, it's not easy to make a living, is it? Yeah, it sucks <laughs> in that in that in that uh, compartment. I mean, in that yeah, it's difficult because I uh, I'm writing all these things, like three things a day, and uh, I'm selling them. I'm I'm selling everything. You know, it's like nothing stays with me. They're all gone, and um, and I'm not rich. You know, <laughs> I'm not earning lots of money, and uh, I I don't want to. I don't want too much money, but it's just like. You know, it's like if if the kind of freelance writers or the novelists in Turkey were living in England or in the States, I mean, they'd have a much better time. You, know? you think so? You think yeah, so? for example, mm -hmm. yeah, Ahmet Ümit was here. He's uh -huh. like a bestseller writer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if they would have much better deals in abroad, I think. Okay. And in Turkey, it's it's a difficult thing to be an independent writer. You know, if you're not with the state, if you're not with the uh, with a journal, if you're not mm -hmm. a journalist, if you're a freelancer, mm -hmm. um, you end up having some financial problems. Mm -hmm. So you have to be like a workaholic like me to survive. 
Uh, do you think that it was different before, or was it just that people had independent incomes if they went into writing, or they just were in prison so much that they didn't have to pay any bills? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think most of the writers went into to uh, advertisement business. They they became like uh, madmen, and uh, lots of po lots of poets. They became like madmen. And uh, they earned good money from <laughs> from these agencies. And I think freelancer is like a new category. I mean, I I don't think you could survive. I mean, apart from Oran Pamuk, mm -hmm. and there was this this uh, sentence everyone said like, if you are not Oran Pamuk, you can't live as a writer, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which we heard like millions of times. And it's like, so I'm not Oran Pamuk. What I'm gonna What am I gonna do? It's like you have to be Oran Pamuk, otherwise you have no chance. And so. Uh, but that was in 1990s. But now I think uh, you have a better chance of not being Oran Pamuk and. Uh, well, there, there, I mean, there writer. are um, writers who who do sell. Um, well, they they seem to have very very impressive sales. I mean, yeah. You know, I was listening to I, one writer. I won't mention her name, and it wasn't Perihana, um, saying that, that she was struggling a bit because she was only uh, she, her last book only sold thirty thousand in Turkey, and. Uh, <laughs> Thirty thousand is bad. Uh, it's not bad, uh, <laughs> but but this person thought it was. So obviously, you know, I hear this writer does thirty thousand. This writer does a hundred thousand. Uh, those of us who don't know uh, Turkey very well or um, have a kind of outdated view of it think, you know, that's a lot of readers for a country like Turkey. It mm. is a reading. It is it is a reading. A country like Turkey, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I'm not, it's not my words. <laughs> that was, uh, but it is a reading. Um, uh, country and it's also um, yeah, a very young country uh, with a lot of people in universities and so on. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think um, this disconnect between the intellectuals and the people is continuing mm -hmm. to a certain degree. You know, the one I mentioned in the beginning, mm -hmm. because there are like, all these readers in Anatolia, in 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 middle middle Anatolia, in in the east. Um, who don't want to read writers from Istanbul? I mean, they they don't want to read about Istanbul's nightlife. You know, they want to read about Islam or some um, historic period. Um, and so, these interesting figures are now arising from distant towns of Anatolia. These strange writers from coffee houses, from tea shops. Uh -huh. They're like these eccentric figures who are working on manuscripts, and then. Getting big success with their with with them. Uh, there are some examples. I don't know their names, <laughs> but their books sold like hundreds of thousands of copies. They become like strange phenomenons, uh -huh. and the 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 literary establishments in Istanbul are like, who are these people? And it's like, are they they're the people you accused of being ignorant? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think there's there's a great readership actually, but uh, the concerns of the writers are like. Very uh, narrow. So, and now uh, for for the past few decades, uh, just about any Turkish writer who um, made their name abroad um, was accused in Turkey of pandering to Western readers. Mm. Yes. So, with, do you think that was unfair, or do you think that uh, there were certain writers who were trying to get outside? Turkey mm. and reach world audiences where there is a lot of money and a lot of you know a lot to be gained <laughs> yeah, I if think you the, choose certain yeah. subjects yeah <laughs> yeah I think the the Anglo-Saxon novel uh, tradition became 
influential in Turkey, and there were like these novels about issues. You know, let's let's write a novel about. Uh, I won't mention any <laughs> subject. Let's let's write a novel about um, Islam. No, like a, like a pencil, let's say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and let's make it like a timely novel. Let's 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 wait for this, for example, the 50th anniversary of this event, and let's uh, write it to coincide with that uh, date. And so I think these these are things that we learned from from England and mm -hmm. from 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 the states, and also. Um, there was very experimental novels before, uh, very modernist novels, which were very difficult to read, which my mother could not finish. <laughs> and now these are they are novels which are easier to read, which mm -hmm. are more plain uh, in in language, but not okay. not in theme and structure. But and th so they're language. not in Starbucks Turkish. <laughs> okay. No, no, okay. no. So uh, I think that's another thing we learned from. From from the English, you know, it's, it's like don't try to be like Proust. Don't try to overdo it. Forget the it. French. Forget <laughs> yeah, the French. yeah, just, just yeah. forget the French. Yeah. Okay. Just don't overdo it. Just write in plain st sentences English. that we can <laughs> in plain <laughs> English now, in plain Turkish. Um, yeah, and I, I think writers are trying to simplify their sentence structures and their grammar. Everybody but you. No, I'm I'm also writing in shorter sentences. Very, very in short. English, but um, oh, in I Turkish mean, as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think you should. I think those long sentences are wonderful. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I want my mother to finish <laughs> <laughs> at least one book. <laughs> I mean, otherwise it's impossible. I, I like to write like four four uh, page long sentences. Yeah, I know. Uh, that, that's I know. the kind of writer I was, but I'm regret. I regret it. It's like it's just like a. Uh, Something, some, some teenage mistake, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I should explain that um, for those of you who don't know that the, the, in Turkish the verb comes at the end. So if it's a four-page uh, sentence, you don't really know what it's about until the end, uh, or you'll be led to think right, it's yeah. about something, and then you find out that you're, uh, all that all those clauses that you're carrying <laughs> from page to page have yeah, misled exactly. you. Yeah. Yeah. So. But that's funny, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At uh, the end of the yeah. tunnel, there's a light. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That verb, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that treacherous verb. Do, do any of you have questions for Kaya? Yes, and then I'll come to you. Uh, there's a, there's a mic. Can we read your comic novel in English? Has it been translated? And if so, what's it called? Uh, in Turkish, it's called Majera. Uh, Majera, it's called. Um, and it... But I, I, I translate as La Ventura because um, La Ventura Turkish uh, translation is also Majera. Um, but there's no Turkish translation, there's no English translation yet. But I tried to translate the first chapter. It's hard. Yeah, it's, yeah. I was like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I mean, how, can, how can you imitate this in English? So I'm, I, I tried to do it like Lawrence Stern, like this sort of Sternian voice. Which which is not very easy. <laughs> and it's I was good like, uh, I I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this, and I just gave up. <laughs> so I think it's it's a difficult yeah. enterprise. But we never know. We never know. Yeah. Yes, over here, there's a gentleman here. What would you say about sorry? What what would you say about the advantages or disadvantages, or both indeed, of writing uh, in a literature that hasn't got the sort of continuity that many other literatures have got? Uh, exactly because of the sort of language reforms you talked about at the beginning of your uh, of your talk this evening. 
Did everybody hear that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, for, uh, there, there are some uh, great mystic uh, folk writers um, from, from the Middle Ages, like Nasirtin Hoja uh, and Rumi, also, uh, some great writers and poets, whose works uh, are unreadable if they're not translated into like plain Turkish. Uh, but but they have been translated into plain Turkish, um, and they've been translated by um, traditionalists as well. I mean, they were not like um, simplified. I mean, they're they're translated in uh, in all their uh, wealth and uh, you know complexity. So actually, we have these books from from even from the Middle Ages. We just can't read them from uh, from their original languages, but uh, um, in the last few years, there's an interest in uh, the Ottoman language. There are many uh, courses in Ottoman language, and I think Ottoman language is going to be in the curriculum uh, from next year, and uh, students will be able to. I mean, it's going to be something like Latin, uh, something like that. And um, I think when that happens, it will be interesting be because some people will be able to uh, get from the Middle Ages some 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 great stuff that we we don't know how to handle, and they they'll have the necessary glow, so to speak, to handle them. And they'll be like, you know, just look at how funny Nasirtin Hoca is. You know, how funny his tales are. Let's uh, use it in modern fiction. Um, so I think. Um, this language barrier is being uh, demolished thanks to these courses. Is there another question anywhere? Yes, over here. <coughs> uh, thanks. You gave us a lot to think. Uh, so um, I just wanted to ask something completely out of um, informational because you mentioned that uh, there are no essayists in Turkey and then you talked about how the role of the literary agent is something that is quite new. So I was wondering what the role of creative writing on an academic level might be and what, what, what that would, would show. Uh, so there are some university courses, like creative writing university courses, but we don't have like a proper program, like a uh, university program yet. There are some summer courses, I think, which are led by novelists. Some novelists. Mario Levy, for yeah, example, he teaches. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so there's like a new job opportunity for novelists. So that <laughs> they're they're having these uh, courses, and I'm sure they're having an interesting time with all these new writers um, but it's not like in England I think it's not like there's this famous uh, creative writing course where the agent goes to at the end of the year and picks these you know, great things and brings to London or Istanbul it's not there yet but I think it's it's going to be uh, very soon because um, there's lots of interest in writing fiction uh, people want to uh, live as writers, lots of young people, and there's also interest in writing uh, TV series. Mm. People want to learn how to write TV series because Turkish TV series are so successful and these guys are earning so much money and we are so jealous of them. <laughs> <laughs>
and uh, and uh, some Turkish novelists are also writing some scripts, but under different names. Okay. I, I we'll won't mention later. names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a, like an alternative career. So yeah. Yes. Is it? Hi. So thank you for the great talk. When you provided a like grand narrative of the Turkish writing at the beginning of your talk, whole the process of economic uh, transformation, like during the Republican period, like 1980s, 19 uh, since the uh, early 2000s as well. But you also said like you know Orhan Kemal is one of the biggest Turkish writers. I totally agree. But if you look at like Orhan Kemal's writing, it's more like um, he's more focusing on implications of this whole this like neoliberal transformation. So how like what would be your comment on that? Like do you think like neoliberal urbanization is a big part of change in culture and Turkish writing, but you kind of you didn't talk mm -hmm. much about that. Yeah. What would be your yeah, comment sure. on that? Asia eighties was, was 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 the big big period where that liberalization took place. Uh but uh it also produced some great uh critics of that process but I mean the liberalization came with you know both in the publishing industry and in other industries mm -hmm. and because publishing industry uh, had more um, room and space for these different writers uh, these uh, those who were critical of that uh, process could you know voice their anger uh, but I think Orhan Kemal is like a very different uh, example because uh, he's er earlier. Yeah, he's mu he's yeah. much earlier, yeah. and um, I think his his tradition continues uh, continued during the 1980s because there was so much inequality uh, after the the neoliberal transformation um, happened, and so uh, I think there was a great interest in his work as well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I I don't think we I don't think Turkish literature produced a sort of equivalent of Orhan Kemal in mm. 1990s. I mean, the great writer is Orhan Pamuk, but you know he's not like he's not so. li like a socialist. That's great no. socialist writer. I think uh, writers um, uh, became more interested in in uh, cultural issues. I mean, they they moved away from economics. I mean, the kind of things you mentioned. Um, Do you, would you say they also become um, less uh, collective, less uh, politically engaged, or you don't have to be? I mean, are there more kind of individualist uh, writers? I, now? I think they're, they're they're like they moved from Marxism to cultural studies. That sort of <laughs> that sort of move. I mean, they're they're still critical, but they're not Marxists anymore. So they're, they're writing kind of um, TV. Uh, yeah, series, yeah, 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 I can yeah. do everything. It's yeah. just cultural studies. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that doesn't sound at all familiar. No. <laughs> <laughs> so two questions, two hands over there, and um, lady in the front first, and just to, yeah, and then hand it back. Thank you. I just have a few uh, comments. Um, just uh, going uh, back to Orhan Kemal, for example in your uh, talk when you were um, uh, sort of uh, making a sketch of the uh, history of uh, Turkey it of course it was only a sketch 
but I thought you, both of you, um, uh -oh. paid no attention to the uh, mm. question of class, uh, for example. And uh, if you take the examples of uh, socialist writers in Turkey, uh, for example, Orhan Kemalos, Sabatin Ali, and so on, these people that came out of the earlier uh, Republican projects, and particularly of a Korean's titulary. Um, mm -hmm. In English, you can uh, translate it. I think my first uh, question uh, to you is uh, how, uh, what is your uh, uh, position in relation to the re Republic? I'd like mm -hmm. to know how you see yourself like, um, as a um, dandy in the <laughs> well, Republic in Turkey now. I don't dress like a dandy, I just very, very plain, plain day. Well, 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 uh, Wild in the huh? Turkish uh, comic uh, writer. I, I think the class is is a very important issue, first of all. Uh, uh, we didn't talk about class because classes don't exist in Turkey according to the official uh, discourse. I mean, uh, after after the revolution, after the Kadro magazine that I mentioned, um, the official discourse was that there are no classes in Turkey, we are all uh, mixed, no one has any privileges. So if you t talk about classes, uh, that's like blasphemy. So when Orhan Kemal talked about classes, you know, he got into trouble because th these didn't exist, just like curse didn't exist. You know, it's like, what's a class? You know, it's, it's an interesting word. And so um, I think because of that, um, because of the uh, the refusal to recognize that, in fact, there were classes in Turkey, and in fact, the Republicans were like the new aristocracy, and they were like um, the peasants were like really like the low classes now, uh, and there were like great inequalities. Uh, even to acknowledge that became a problem. Uh, so th that was the main issue that could get you into trouble. Um, and, and I wrote about classes as well, uh, although I'm a dandy. <laughs> and I, I tried to write it in a uh, wilding way. <laughs> and um, But um, I don't think it's, it's a problem anymore. I mean, um, uh, you can write about these things now. Mm -hmm. And also, current tutelary, I think you, you know more about me about Korean's tutelary. Uh, oh, yeah, village institutes. Yes. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, village institutes are a very, very important part of Turkish cultural history. Um, they started, uh, oh, I can't get the dates now, but they were started initially started by Ataturk to uh, train people from villages um, to go back and enlighten uh, villagers uh, in hygiene and agriculture as well as, as reading. 
but uh, it was a very idealistic, wonderful, and very socialist pro project, which is one of the reasons uh, why we think it was shut down. Mm -hmm. uh, but before it was shut down, it did um, uh, raise this extraordinary generation of, um, of Anat you know, Anatolian um, uh, thinkers, activists, novelists, and so on, and they gave rise to, among other things, what we call the village novel. And I'd also add that outside um, this, um, I mean, I think the influence is still being felt. Um, yeah, sure. If you start tracing uh, who comes from where and who, you know, which, who had who for a teacher, that that is still a really mm. wonderful, qu uh, quite hidden tradition. And I would add that um, even the you know the urban zupes or whatever, um, or you know a lot of the urban writers or the writers who ended up in the cities, uh, like Yashar Kemal coming from the country ending up in the city, uh, it was um, almost uh, all of the leading intellectuals of the time I was growing up were all on the left. They were all on the left, and they were all paying a very, very high price for it. Uh, we know that, you know, the numbers uh, of the articles that sent them into prison, and um, mm -hmm. uh, everybody laughs about it um, to get over it. Uh, you know, these friends of mine who were in prison, um, but it, it wasn't any joke. <laughs> Yeah, not for yeah, them. Yeah. So, so my uh, second uh, no, part no, of I, my I think uh, we my, uh, question. Move on now. Yeah, yeah. There's one uh, later if we have more time. There's somebody else behind you who wanted a question. I'm sorry. I think you partially answered it just now, but I just want to ask: when you mentioned this word "zupe," meaning roughly like dandy, is this word still really used today in debates today, or if it's used, is it used like as a historical phenomenon, or is it still? Used as an accusation today, or yeah, it is. It is like a um, like a type of person who, uh, I mean, in 1990s, it was used for intellectuals. They were like, "Oh, these intellectuals are all zupes. They have uh, they are drinking whiskey in their fancy houses, and they're having a good time, and uh, they're just." talking about the state, they're saying all these bad things. Uh, so that's sort of, uh, they, they want to join the European Union. They want European uh, values. They want free... They uh, want more whiskey. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, um, they're just uh, continuing that tradition uh, of the the Zippe character in, the, in Turkish uh, novel. And, and, and the of course, the journalists were continuing the tradition of these these Turkish novelists, you know, I think the journalists took that role from the from these novelists, and they because they learned it from them, from these novelists, and they were like, yes, we have to continue that perspective so that you know these these dandies don't demand these uh, these unmentionable things from us. Uh, so um, I think uh, it still exists today. I mean, if you if you go. If you go too marginal, you'll be accused. Uh, if you if you're if you're too well dressed, you'll be accused. <laughs> or maybe if you speak in very elaborate sentences. I mean, even if you um, do your hands like this, maybe <laughs> maybe that will be enough to to call you a zuppe. Uh, so yeah, the tradition lives today. There, there's a there's a waving arm back there. Yes. I had actually wanted to ask a question about the Turkish attitude towards joining the EU before you mentioned it. I remember hearing a program on Radio 3 about 
five years ago, I suppose, an extended discussion about Turkey and the EU and various people's attitudes towards it, from which I got the impression that it was America that was particularly keen that Turkey should join the EU. But I wondered whether Turkish attitudes towards joining the EU have changed at all or radically since the financial crisis and the collapse of countries like Greece and others. Yeah, I think I think after after Greece, uh, it changed a lot. Uh, but even before Greece, uh, it was changing because uh, uh, the official line is, you know, we did we we tried to do everything we could to get into the EU, and yet you didn't give it to us, and uh, we're still going to continue our reforms, uh, and may, you will feel ashamed. You feel so ashamed that you know just you'll just fall into our arms something like that but that didn't happen uh, so the, the doors are not open yet but i think after the economic crisis there's a feeling of relief yeah yeah it's, it's relief okay. it's like yeah maybe it's it's good that we are not there uh, maybe maybe they'll not try to come to us uh, maybe it will be the other way around uh, but uh, our uh, european Minister is very active, still very active. He's like traveling the world, and he's still Every, trying. Everywhere but Europe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's still trying to convince the French, you know. And and, and I think the biggest problem is the French. You know, they they are like the ones who don't like us. Forget we, the French. But we we, we tried too hard to be like them, and they're like, we don't want you here. It's it's it's, it's incredible. Uh, but I don't know. M maybe the day will come. One will be there, yeah. One really quick question, and then we have to... Uh, yes, the gentleman at the back there. Just on kind of a related point, yeah, you mentioned Armenia and how there was... I, I, I inferred on the basis of what you said that there's more openness about discussing it now. Uh, but it's still out there as an issue in lots of places. How does this play out eventually? Does it... Do we get to the point where, you know, we we get some agreement about something where everybody's not unhappy, or does this kind of perpetuate until everybody dies, you know, or what? I think there's a coalition between as different types of dissidents. I mean, the Kurdish dissidents, the Armenian dissidents, um, uh, all kinds of dissidents are trying to uh, look at the history in a different way. They're trying to find yeah. dissidents uh, of the left as well. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course, yeah, dissidents yeah. of the left. Maybe, maybe they might be leading this effort. Yeah. And so uh, they're trying to look at these past issues uh, in a new light. And um, I mean, there uh, nowadays there are no uh, court cases against books about Armenian issue. I mean, there, there was even a book by Hassan Jamal that was published last year, which um, said 1915 Armenian Genocide. That was a translation of the title. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and nothing, nothing happened. A, you know, it, it was in the bookstores next to 50, you know what? 50 Shades. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a big hit. <laughs> but But then he lost his job. Oh, yeah. What do you yeah. say to that? Uh, commercial censorship. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not just that. It's not the courts anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it is more open. We have run out of time. I do have one more question for you. It's really, where do you stand in relation to the state, Kaya? 
Well, I I came here on my own. <laughs> I I bought my own ticket, so I'm not I'm not a state writer. I'm not su supported by anyone. Yeah. I'm just yeah. a freelancer <laughs> here and uh, in Turkey as well. So I, I have no connections. No Independent. Relations. Yeah. Independent. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it will be fine. It will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hopefully. <laughs> as long as you forget the French. Um, anyway, I. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm sorry about the ticket. Um, <laughs> no, no, had a no good problem. time while you were here. <laughs> I had lots of miles. You know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and thank you very much for uh, for coming this evening. And uh, please can we um, give a hand to Kaya? Thank Thanks for coming. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'd also like to thank uh, Genshin and Maureen Freely for such an absorbing and enlightening conversation this evening about Turkish writing. Um, if you're as intrigued as I am, there are plenty of books on sale here, some of them written and translated by Maureen, and we hope that soon they'll be joined by Kaya's comic novel, which I'd love to read. Um, this event is part of the London Review Bookshop's World Literature Series, um, which uh, our next event is on Friday the 24th of May when the legendary translator Edith Grossman will be in town and in conversation with Daniel Hahn. She's also running a couple of masterclasses. I think the one on the Saturday has sold out, but there are still places on Sunday. Um, that's Sunday the 26th. Um, the World Literature Series is run in partnership with the British Centre for Literary Translation and it's supported by the Kaluskal Bankian Foundation and Arts Council England, so thanks to them. But I'd also like to thank you, the audience, for coming here this evening. Um, please do stay around, have a glass of wine, talk to our authors, buy books, get them signed. Um, but first, please join me in thanking once again uh, Maureen Freely and Kaya Gensch. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com